0: And our chapter for today is the book of Jude. Just one chapter, but how powerful it is. Let's get right to it. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. That's right. Judas, as he is called in the Gospels, is the brother of James and the Lord Jesus himself. That is the half-brother. Some have said to me, well, why doesn't he just say that he's the brother of Jesus? Well, we don't know all about that, but James, in the same frame of mind, does what Jude does, that is... They don't want to appeal to their audience on the basis of being fleshly associated as a half brother of Jesus. No, they want to be associated with him as the Messiah, as the Lord, as their Lord, as their savior, not as their brother. And so this is why Jude would talk about James. James would have been well known to the early church because he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That's obvious by Acts chapter 15, but Jude addresses his entire audience in a way that was very normal for the Jews to do of that day, especially the learned ones, those who were great teachers. He talked about things in threes, for instance, look at verse one. He says to those who are called sanctified and preserved notice the threes. Mercy, peace, and love. Threes again, not just grace and mercy, but mercy, peace, and love. After saying that we are called, we're sanctified, we're preserved, that is, the Spirit of God calls us, after the Father sets us apart and brings us unto himself, and we are preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, love be multiplied to you. And then he talks about the apostates of his day, the false teachers of his day. What we have to remember as living 2000 years removed from the early church, the first church, that first century of believers is that during those early years, there were false teachers at every level. They were those like John was dealing with, the docetist who believed that Jesus didn't have a real body, but rather it was just a phantom as such. There were those like Sorenthus who said that the Spirit of God was in the Lord Jesus, but his body came upon him. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one came upon him at his baptism, left him at his crucifixion. There's all kinds of heresies, deviations from truth, and so the early church was constantly dealing with heretics, those who were false teachers, those who came in. We will see that Jude calls them creeps, those who creep in who come in at a side angle on the blind side let me tell you that's still going on today and Jude gives us great admonition beloved while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation that is that which we have in common those common beliefs the core beliefs that Jesus is virgin born that he lived a sinless life that he died a substitutionary death a bodily resurrection and that indeed That was not the end, but he's coming again. Those are five fundamentals of the faith. Those are the things that we must agree on. The Bible is the word of God, that it is without error. If you don't agree on these basic things, then you're going to have trouble along the way. It's a common salvation. He said, I found it necessary to write unto you, beseeching you, exhorting you. That's the word parakaleo, that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered at a point in time, the truth came in the person of Jesus Christ. And the apostles wrote down the truth of God's word. And so as he says, for us to earnestly contend for the faith. The word for contend and then the adverb as to how we are to do it earnestly is only used here. This word is only used here in the book of Jude in the entire New Testament. It is the word epi and then the word epi. Agonizomai or the agon, a G-O-N, Epi, which is an intensifier, and then agon, that's where we get our word agony. It is a contest. This is a struggle, is an agon. A contest is an agon. A race is a agon. That is a long, arduous race. And the idea is that there is contention, there's struggle, there's agony. That's where the word agony comes from. So the intensifier epagonizomai is the word in Greek. And so you have that epi there along with agonizomai. Agon is the primary word, the nizomai on the end is just an inflected ending that tells you what part of speech it is and all of those kinds of things, the inflection on the end. What I'm telling you is the believer is going to be intensely contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Why? Because there are always those who want to come in and creep in and begin to lead people astray. That's the enemy's way. That's the devil's way. It doesn't change in any generation. Sometimes it just dresses up in different garb and clothing. And here's what he warns again. For certain, this is verse four, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. Now, the word crept in is the word para, which is beside, and then to enter. To enter in from the side It's the idea of creeping in the side door. It's the idea of coming in, not the front or the back door, but coming in at an angle where you wouldn't be noticed. And he says, these men are creeps. They creep in, they've crept in unnoticed, who long ago were prografo. That's the word like program. They're written in the program already. In other words, it's part of God's providential layout for the church. We're going to have in every generation. It's in the program. It's already written beforehand. We're going to have in this sinful world, we're going to have to continually be in battle. This idea that the Christian life, just come and give your life to Jesus and everything's going to be better. We're not called to ask people to come and come to Jesus so your life will be better. We ask people and beg people and beseech people to come to Jesus so their life will be forever changed, so they'll be born again, so that they will not just have a better life, but they'll have a new life. It'll be a life that's filled with love for Jesus. These people were on the program. They're creeps, and their condemnation is already marked out. They turn the grace of God into sensuality. There's no restraint. They deny the only Lord God. And that is, they deny the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's his full title. He is Lord. He is God Almighty. He is Jesus. He's the Savior. He is God, yet he is man, Jesus. And he is the anointed one, the Christos. But I wanted to remind you, though you once knew this, and do we ever forget, of course. I want to remind you, though you once knew He's saying, look, you once had this, but you let it go. Has that ever happened in your life? I guarantee you it has. If you will just think for just a moment, there were some things that you once had hold of and you let them slip that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, see, they knew this, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. That is, everybody that left didn't finish. Why? Because they weren't part uh, serving the Lord. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, uh, God's reserved them in everlasting change and darkness waiting for the great day of judgment as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. That is men after men, women after women are set forth as an example of the suffering of the vengeance of eternal fire. So three illustrations are given. The people who were lost in the wilderness, the angels that left their estate in heaven, and uh, followed after the wickedness of Satan, Lucifer, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet even Michael, the chief angel, Archangelos, the chief messenger, the number one messenger, in contending with the devil, when disputing about the body of Moses. Ah, so there was a dispute about where the body of Moses was, because Michael said, the Lord has taken care of that, and the Lord rebuke you. In other words, he didn't get into it with the devil. He is the chief angel, but he understood that Satan had a rank. He had a position, and he asked the Lord to rebuke him. This is good teaching for all of us who talk to the devil like he's some schoolboy. I want to tell you, if it wasn't for God's protecting hand and the protecting angels of God and the Holy Spirit within us, he would sift us as wheat. That's what Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter, you you think you're something. You think you can stand, but if Satan has desired you that he could sift you as wheat, and he could without the protection of the Lord. We need to hunker down close to the Lord and quit talking to the devil like he is some kind of schoolboy because even Michael the archangel doesn't do that because these are powerful beings. And outside of the protection of the Lord, we're like mincemeat. We're like fodder inside of a grinder. And that's what the devil would do to us outside of the Lord's protection. And the only reason we can stand is because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Remember, we just learned that in 1 John. He said, but these people that come in, they speak evil of whatever they do not know. And that's what I have seen in so many movements that are calling themselves people who walk with God. They talk about things that they really don't know about. They need to be very careful because if it were not for the protecting hand of God, they would absolutely be destroyed. So he talks about then that they have corrupted themselves, that they're naturally like brute beasts. And then he gave three examples of what that's like. He said the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, and the rebellion of Korah. Well, what is that talking about? Well, the way of Cain is the way of pride, of selfishness. And the error of Balaam is greed, doing things for a profit and for one's own gain. The rebellion of Korah, what would that have to do with? Well, that was wanting promise. and rebelling against God's given authority. All of these things are very important, and they're lessons for us. These, he said, these false teachers, these apostates, these creeps who have come into the church, they're spots, they're stains. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they're clouds without water, late autumn trees without fruit. They are raging waves of the sea, all of these examples are not good things. They're bad things. And then he goes on in verse 14 to talk about Enoch. This is like reading Second Peter and the book of Enoch. Enoch was one of those books that did not make it into the canon, did not measure up. But yet Peter quotes that, Jude quotes that, talks about all of these things that are in the book of Enoch, If you've never read it, you should read it sometime. It's not the Word of God, but Peter quotes it, and Jude talks about it, and talks about Enoch, who was this great man of God. And he says these apostates... This is predictable behavior. They're grumblers, they're complainers, they're walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering to gain advantage. These kinds of people in every family, in every church. Yes, in the church of Jesus. Many times, the people who cause trouble in the church, they're just lost. They're out of the will of God if they are saved. They're wanting to be heard. They are following the way of Korah. They're going after the same error that Balaam went after. They're following in the way of Cain. They are self-righteous. They are prideful. They are bitter and have been hurt, and they seek to destroy everything around them. That's why Cain murdered Abel, is he couldn't stand that someone was being put before him the scripture says that these are people that are ungodly and they cause divisions, uh, not having the spirit of God. That means they're lost. Romans chapter eight and verse nine says, if anyone has not the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But he said, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy trust and faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. You see, what Jude doesn't say for us to discipline, them, he said, get away from them, stay away from them. He doesn't say argue with them. He says, stay away from Do We contend for the faith. You better believe it. But we do that by speaking the truth, not getting personal with people and trying to cut them down, but just speak the truth in love, speak the truth in love and keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't get bitter with them. Don't get on the same level. They're on looking for the mercy of God because we so need God's mercy. And on some of the people that we deal with, we need to have compassion, understanding that they may have gone through something that's caused this and God gives you insight and you you have compassion on them. But others, we save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by uh, the flesh. In other words, we don't deal with everybody the same way because people come from different backgrounds, they have different situations, and we need to be sensitive to those kind of things. We just don't deal with everybody the same way. Some we have compassion on, others that the day of compassion is left. But then what he says in verses 24 and 25 is that God is the one that has the power to keep us, protect us, and that he does. And so he ends with a great prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Aren't you glad? and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. See, He's able to do that. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, Jude. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies.